0: Good
1: morning, good air of Shabbos to everybody. This is Table for Two with Naomi Nachman on the Nachum Segal Network. I am joined in the studio by Ina Kopel, our special sponsor for this month. Our sponsors are Studio Ina in Woodmere, New York. For those of you who don't know me, I am Naomi Nachman. I'm about all the food all the time. I love food. I love to shop for it, cook it, eat at restaurants, anything food-related, I'm a kosher personal chef. My business is called the Aussie Gourmet. I give cooking classes, cater for people for Shabbat, for Yontov, Pesach, small parties, Shava Brachas, Vars. anytime you don't feel like cooking, I am your gal. I hope you'll tune in each week and hear about my cooking adventures and my kosher food traveling and sharing great food ideas and recipes each week. But I want to hear about your food experiences too. So you can please email me at naomi at com. You can join my fan page on facebook um the aussie gourmet you can follow me on instagram twitter and now you can join my newsletter on the aussie with my revamped website and i even put up a new picture of myself because the other one was getting way old so i kind of like updated it i think i like it better i think i look younger now than i did five years ago when i took that picture so um if you've had a really great uh food experience please share it because i'm going to be sharing mine um so a couple of really interesting things happened to me this week um I want to, I was, I was tell you a little story. I was in, uh, for Hanukkah break, I was in, um, Vermont and we made our way back to New York, of course, via a food stop because everything me is food related and I use my kosher GPS app and trying to find a restaurant. So this is, this is the story that, that happened to me and I'm actually going to play you an interview right now that I had in New Haven, Connecticut. It was such a find for me. It was actually the highlight of my trip. Everybody else loved to ski and they loved being out in the snow. But for me, finding this restaurant in New Haven was the highlight of my Hanukkah <laughs> vacation. Okay, so ZK and I um, this morning, our engineer extraordinaire, um, helped me string together highlights of my interviews with Claire from Claire's Kosher Cornucopia. Actually, it's not even Claire's Kosher Cornucopia. I can't even say it. Too many season case. Claire's Cornucopia, which happens to be kosher in New Haven, Connecticut. So let's play that interview, ZK, and let's hear and share our exciting uh, story that we had. Hi, this is Naomi Nachman at Table for Two on the Nachman Siegel Network. Our show is sponsored by Studio Ina. And we are sitting here right in, a, right here in the center of town in uh, New Haven, Connecticut. I cannot believe that I'm here. It's absolutely magical. Uh, it was our, it's our Hanukkah break. It's the Monday of Hanukkah break. I know that Hanukkah's over now. Um, and we stopped off from Vermont on our way home. It's a friend of ours, Tamar Carey, who lives in New Haven, said, you have to stop by and break up the trip on the way home to Claire's Cornucopia Vegetarian Restaurant. It is unbelievable here. So I'm actually so lucky because as I walked in, um, my husband was sitting at the table with our daughters and Rabbi Avigdor, who is the rabbi and mashkeach of this fabulous establishment and his Revitzen, were here at the same time. And uh, he said, I'm going to introduce you to Claire, who happens to be here. And the rabbi was here, and it was just amazing. So I thought, let's get everybody together for a quick interview. So thank you so much for having me in your amazing restaurant, Claire. Thank you so much. This is a treat. I'm happy you're here. You know, my family's a family of foodies, and this is just unbelievable that all this food, it, it looks meat, but it's all vegetarian. You know, we, we looked at it a little differently than other people
2: did 38 years ago when we started. We really look at it through actually a religious standpoint because so many religions have abstinence of some kind, and it's usually meat. So you look at those recipes and you go to Italian food, you go to Mexican food, you go to Middle Eastern food, you know, and you, and you get to make food and create food that is naturally vegetarian, and you don't miss the flavor of meat because it's the textures are rich, the food is delicious. It's just homemade, good food and organic ingredients and sustainable practices and, I don't know. I think we just care about what we do and I think that's what makes the food taste so good.
1: It's just homemade food. And it's delicious homemade food. My family, we had some Mexican burritos and we had some salads and we had some, um, we had this burrito, not burrito, what do we call it? A Burger, bistro burger. burger.
2: Our veggie burgers are really popular. We make them with organic oats and walnuts and brown rice and organic mushrooms and carrots and they're very popular, and we have several varieties, and we make our own buns to go with them. Although today we also have a
1: nice lentil and shiitake burger. A shiitake burger. Okay, you had me at shiitake. I absolutely love shiitake mushrooms. Okay, we get it with the rabbi. The rabbi's piping up over here because the rabbi gets to come here. How many times a week do you come here, rabbi?
3: As often as I can, because the food is so good.
1: So this is probably the luckiest Mashkiach around. <laughs> We're all laughing. He gets to come here and you know, check all the vegetables and check all the products and make sure everything, of course, like a Mashiach does, is up to our standards. Now, this place is actually open seven days a week, correct? Yes, because I have the
2: benefit of being Italian Catholic. And I tease the rabbi. So I get to respect... Many religions, and I love that. I love the fact that you can. I can look in the dining room and we could see so many people from different backgrounds eating together. Nothing makes me happier, and nothing makes me believe more that this is really the way that one day we'll maybe have peace if we can sit together and realize that we just all want our beautiful children to grow up and be happy and be well. We want our parents to live old ages. We want. We want to eat good food. You know, just I think that does it. And,
1: you know, I'm not giving up. You sound like the ultimate foodie. I love that. That's great. Rabbi, is it very hard to have a community out here in New Haven? It's not a gigantic kosher community?
3: We have a very small community in New Haven, but very dedicated. And we are very proud that Claire has embraced the Jewish community and offered to go to the very large expense because kosher cheeses and kosher foods are much more expensive than regular food food and yet she does go the extra distance for us and we are grateful to her and i'm happy to say that the restaurant here and in general is accepted by almost everybody of course there are those that have higher standards that you can't even reach but we're very proud of the fact that people come here all the time and i get questions from people on the phone all the time is your supervision still active are you still checking are you still there is clear reliable Is the food checked in this way and that way? And I'm very happy to give them the answers. And I welcome them always to come in and take a look for themselves, as I did with you. And I'm very, very happy that people come and enjoy and make a bracha. That's wonderful.
2: Well, I will tell you, in, in response to that, it is expensive, and I don't even mind spending the money. It's the balsamic vinegar that is killing me. (laughs) Really? Really? That's so funny. But kosher balsamic vinegar is much more than non-kosher balsamic? It's not only much more, but it has caramel color in it. So it's not even the best balsamic vinegar. It's just the most expensive. So when people call me and they say, are you still under supervision? I say, yes. If I wasn't, I would have better balsamic
1: vinegar at a lower price. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Yes, we are still recording. That is hilarious. Who knew the balsamic vinegar was like a point of
3: controversy? I have to to add to that something very interesting. I got a call from someone who very irate. Rabbi Victor, Claire is not trustworthy. She's not using kosher balsamic vinegar. I said, what are you talking about? I come in and I check. And they said, yeah, it was very, very thick, and balsamic vinegar is thin. Oh, my reduction. remember that? So so I explained. I said, Claire, she said you were serving something else. And until Claire explained, she took the regular balsamic vinegar, and then she heated it, and she reduced it into a very thick sauce. That's why it looked different than what people thought it would be, but it was really kosher.
2: Because I couldn't find a kosher one. I will tell you, having the restaurant under supervision really makes you step it up even more because when you want something for instance i wanted a nice
1: balsamic reduction i knew i had to make my own um and the same with some of the thank you very much for joining me here today i really um well having me here you i am joining you really in your beautiful restaurant was really delicious i cannot finish my burrito it was so well, amazing. It was very filling, so thank you. Thank you so much, and I hope you'll come
2: visit New Haven. I hope you'll come see our art galleries, which are free, by the way, and fabulous.
1: And you can come visit us at Claris. Yeah, for sure. And I want to go check out Yale. It's right across the street from our university.
3: The Peabody Museum and all sorts of other sites here to see if people want to take a day and go out and do something interesting. It's only an hour and a half from, from Brooklyn. You know, I
1: always talk about kosher food traveling. This is it. You know, we travel to New Haven on our way home. You can come from Five Towns in New Jersey, two hours, go do some museums and sightseeing, take something, take with your kids, and then you can come here for lunch or for dinner on your way home. So, uh, thank you very much for uh, this wonderful interview.
3: Thank you.
1: Thank you so much. Such a pl- uh, you know, you could hear the buzz of the restaurant uh, in the in the background of of the interview. I have this amazing app. Uh, on my iPhone that I can, you know, take my show on the road, literally, um, when I've had these great finds of this wonderful, amazing, delicious restaurant. Uh, You could hear how gushy I was, so, you know, it was that good. Um, So uh, I just want to say, you know, one thing that wasn't mentioned in the interview that, you know, that um, talking about bringing people together, Claire was telling me that she had Braille menus before a lot of things became law. She had wheelchair accessible and uh, wide doors, um, for her restaurant before it became legal and, 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 and the law. So, you know, she was very forward thinking and, and uh, I think it's fantastic. You know, she's not Jewish and she, you know, made it, made her restaurant kosher and it's, it's really fabulous serving the community out there. So if you get a chance to go to New Haven, Connecticut and you can check out Yao University as well. And all the museums, I believe they also are Peabody Museum as well. So, uh, look out for that. Okay. So, um, you are listening to Table for Two uh, with Naomi Nachman on the Nachum Siegel Network. Our show is sponsored by Studio Ena in Woodmere and... Actually, later on in the show, we're very excited because we're going to actually have Ina join us as our guest, and she's going to be answering some questions that some of our uh, listeners have been asking. We we asked um, about the last two or three days, we put on Facebook, and on, um, Ina put on her Facebook page and her email list and my email list, and Nahum also gave it a, a mention also that if people have questions or they want to debunk um, any fitness myths or healthy eating myths, um you had a chance to email in uh, some questions for me to ask Ina. We're talking about being interactive. This is uh, what we thought we would uh, try and get everyone to ask Ina some questions. I'm going to have Ina join us in a couple of minutes. I'm just going to try to get Paula on the line. Paula Schoyer is my next guest. Paula is out of Washington, D.C. She is an unbelievable baker. She's written an un- an unbelievable cookbook called the Jewish Holiday Baker. Welcome, Paula Shoya. How are you? Hi, Naomi. I'm great. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for joining me this morning. I'm so honored to have you on the show.
4: Well, I'm happy to be here. You know, it's been a long holiday season.
1: Absolutely. I know it's a Friday morning right now, and everyone's probably baking their chalas and cakes for Shabbat, and I'm sure they're all inspired from your beautiful cookbook.
4: Yeah, because even though the Holiday Kosher Baker is organized by holidays, I've been making these desserts every Shabbos for the last year and a half, so I know that they're great for all year round.
3: Yeah,
1: they're absolutely fantastic. I know um, I was very lucky to receive the book about a month before it came out from your – one of your distributors sent it to me, your PR people, and I – it was in California on vacation and I said that was, that was going to be my reading material and I lay out by the sun in San Diego and I read your book from cover to cover and I was just absolutely obsessed. And then I got to meet you in person and I was so starstruck at the uh, kosher fest a couple, couple weeks ago and I, I just love the book.
4: Well, I'm so glad you love the book. The reception has really been overwhelming. I'm just so thrilled that people are embracing this book and embracing a new twist on you know traditional holiday recipes, trying to move us out of the same old boring recipes that we've all been making for generations.
1: I know. It's unbelievable. So um, you know, from the beginning of the book to the end of the book, it's kind of like I've gone to cooking school with you. Where did, where did you get your initial training from? I was living in Geneva,
4: Switzerland. My husband and I were diplomats there, and I went to take classes at the Ritz Escoffier in Paris, France, and I did this pastry course basically for fun. I was not planning on a new career, but when I came back to Geneva, people in the Jewish community (laughs) asked me to bake for them and insisted on paying me, so I ended up with a catering business, and then I started teaching, and one thing led to another, and it was a very long journey till I got my first cookbook, The Kosher Baker, out three years ago, but it's been an amazing experience.
1: That's amazing. Can we just take that back a little bit? Where were you got? What, what were you doing as diplomats? It sounds so exotic.
4: Oh, yeah. Well, my husband was working as the U.S. legal advisor to the World Trade Organization in Geneva. Oh, wow. So that wow. got us to Geneva. And I had a legal job there as well. I'm a lawyer by training. You're a lawyer by training? Oh, I my am, God. And You're I still so lucky. I'm a New York bar dues because, you know, you can always use a uh, law degree in your back pocket when you have to support four kids. So you know, it,
1: it can't hurt. It's so unfair. I, you know, it's hard to have one talent, but you've got two.
4: <laughs> well, I'm definitely having more fun baking and writing cookbooks and teaching and lecturing than I was practicing law.
1: I'm I'm sure you are. That's wonderful. And where did you work? Did you get great work experience?
4: I did. I worked in Washington D.C. in a law firm doing environmental and insurance litigation, and then I was a speechwriter for a Jewish organization in Geneva for two years before I had my daughter and then decided to go
1: in a different direction. Do you speak French, or am I wrong if I say French? Because yes, you know.
4: I speak French. I learned a little before I left, but most I learned it on the street. That's
1: amazing because it's very hard. I know when I go to Israel, I break my teeth, and I studied it for eighteen years in high school or you know school. It's <laughs> Was a it-
4: very useful language, and I find. That I get to Paris probably every few years to do research because I find that that is where to go to see what's going on, not in kosher and in like the state of the industry and pastry to get
1: ideas. That's wonderful. And where did you work as a pastry chef? You know, I I usually find you do a lot of pastry chefs have done internships. Well, I did an internship in
4: Geneva, Switzerland, in a little pastry shop, and mostly I just interned for myself. I. I started catering, then I started teaching, and then I edited two books for Suzy Fishbine. Oh,
1: fabulous. Which which books did you do of hers?
4: So I did the recipe testing and editing for the Kosher by Design Entertains and oh. the Kids in the Kitchen book. So I've made every one of those recipes that you see in
1: those books. Oh, that's so funny. I actually have one of the Entertains book. I don't know if you know that. I'm, I'm the Bee-Battered Fish
4: Oh, yes. That's a great recipe. Yeah.
1: Anything deep fried is good. I know Hanukkah was about two weeks ago, but you know you can never get enough deep fried.
4: I know, although I started to think at one point about a week ago, I was out of my house and I asked somebody, do I smell like a burger place or a fast food place? Because I felt like I was frying so much that it the smell must have gotten in my hair.
1: Right. Into your pores, right?
4: Absolutely. It's, uh, my son kept asking me, when are you making jelly donuts? And I thought, I've been making donuts for a month, but I haven't decided yet if I can pull it together today.
1: But you know, if not, I'm sure he will eat something delicious. Okay, I'm sure, no doubt. Um, so I love how the book is divided into holiday sections. That's brilliant. Yes, and what I did for most of the larger holidays is that each section is then divided
4: into snack food and entertaining food. So, for example, on Sukkot or Pesach or even on Rosh Hashanah, you need like something to nash in the afternoon, maybe something for breakfast, especially for Pesach. Yep. But then you need something to entertain with for Yom Tov or Shabbat. So it's a very different dessert that you make for a Seder than you would make just to eat at four o'clock with a cup of coffee.
1: Oh, absolutely. You know, I always talk about, you know, um, to friends or to clients that I cook for for Pesach because I cook for a lot of people for Pesach. And they always ask me, what can you do for breakfast? And I tell everybody, do a cheesecake. Don't buy the box Pesach cereal because I cannot imagine that's so healthy or so tasty even. So I tell everyone, go for cheesecake. Make your own cheesecake Pesach morning for breakfast. So every morning, I'm a week before Pesach, I'm busy every day making cheesecake. So I have eight cheesecakes every day.
4: Oh, you're so funny. <laughs> I, well, I have like a a farfel granola in the new book, and oh, I nice. also have a. I have some like a crumb cake for breakfast, a carrot cake, a banana bread. So I definitely have my share of breakfast stuff too.
1: Oh, that's fantastic! That will definitely mix it up for my family, and I'm sure for our listeners as well. That's very nice to expand our breakfasts at Pesach time. Um, It's also a bit of a baking encyclopedia, right? Because like you give so much information over.
4: Well, I'm really my, I really my goal is to make sure people are successful. It's not enough. To just give somebody a recipe, especially for baking, people are afraid to bake. People are afraid of yeast. People are afraid they're going to do something wrong. Most of those people who are afraid are the people who don't really like to measure. I've been on the book tour for you know now like three and a half years, and you'd be surprised how many people don't want to measure. So people, a lot of people are afraid to bake because they don't always have success. So I wanted to give a lot of tips and techniques. A lot of information, so I have at the front of the book a whole cookie baking primer, a whole cake baking primer, as well as all kinds of tips all throughout the book so that you know how to roll out the dough, how to fill the pan, how to line the pan so things don't stick. And I have you know, storage instructions for every single recipe so you know what you can make in advance. But really the most important thing that I got in the book that I really wanted was to make sure that every recipe is labeled whether it's gluten free or nut free or low sugar or parv or dairy so that no matter what diet people are they can find a recipe for them.
1: Exactly, exactly. And you know what I, I really like? This is something that I chip up on all the time because people always ask me do you like to cook or do you like to bake? So I usually say I like to cook. Um, I'm not from the biggest bakers but I, you know, I think that's all going to change, you know, because I've, I've started baking your recipes. Um, but I like I never know how to tell if if the cake is done. And I like how you have a whole tip on, on, you call it testing doneness. Absolutely. And, you know,
4: one of the things that I guess has been shared around for years now is that you're supposed to use a toothpick in a cake to see if it, the cake right. is done. Okay. Well, most of the cakes I make are four inches tall. So our right. There's is no- not going to tell me anything about what's going on in the middle of that cake, that cake. So I either have the lo- the medium or the long kebab skewers and I use those to stick in my cake.
1: Nice trick. Okay, yeah, I'm I'm kind of like destroying cakes a little bit. Now, also I, I you when know, I give a little bit of cooking classes, I'm sure not on the same level that you are, but I'm always trying to tell people to use the proper measuring equipment. Well, you know what always
4: surprises me when I travel around the country and do demos in different cities, that there are many people who bake who do not know the difference between dry measuring cups and
1: liquid measuring oh, cups. Oh, that is my, my lifelong goal is to change that. It
4: is shocking to me. Women in their 40s and 50s who bake all the time and say, oh, my recipe's coming out great, they, they scoop up in the Pyrex measuring cup and shake, 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 and they're like, okay, it's a cup. Oh and then, no! And then sometimes I've gone places where people get annoyed at me when I want them to scoop and level, and they're like, well, I don't do that. I said, well, we're tripling the recipe, so each time you're a little bit off, maybe it's two teaspoons. That adds up to a lot more flour over time. So I really just want to make sure the
1: recipes are successful. No, that, that's a brilliant tip. If we can, you know, shout that from the rooftops. I teach um at a cooking camp for the last seven years. Not a cooking camp, but a day camp, a sleepaway camp for girls. And I I, run, I ran the culinary arts program. And that's one thing I taught to the girls. And these girls come into my program at the age of eight. And, uh, you know, you come to camp for a couple of years, you graduate camp, you're 16, and you know how to measure properly. And I tell the girls, go home and teach your mothers that you have to, you know, scoop and then level off.
4: Yeah, I always make sure I have for both Parv and Dairy, lots of measuring cups and spoons. I always have them handy. I can always grab another one if I need one. And I actually dump out my flour into big containers and keep a cup measuring cup and something to level it with in the container with the flour all the time. So as soon as I'm ready to bake, I can already I can scoop out my cup in two seconds and I got something to level it. I have to go looking for something, take something new every time. And what if it's in the dishwasher? Super
1: easy. Right, yeah. I have quite a few sets of like milk measuring cups and Parv measuring cups because... I go through things very fast when I'm baking, you know, before Shabbat or before Yom Tov.
4: Yeah, and the other thing that I'd like to tell people that I've learned is that once I'm baking one thing, I could bake three or four because I have all the basic ingredients out, the flour, the sugar, the baking powder, the vanilla, it's all out. All the measuring cups are out on your counter. So before you put them away, think if there's something else you want to make that you have most of the ingredients for already sitting right out in front of you.
1: Everything's already covered in flour and sugar. You might as
4: well make something else. It's just as easy.
1: Right. You know, I always try to I – ne- I try never to make anything just once. I'll always try to, like, double it and freeze one of them. It just makes right. life easier as a busy mom.
4: No, it's always a good idea. I do that with soup all the time. And sometimes I'll double the cookie recipes as well. It just depends. Some recipes, like, for example, I have a – fabulous summer fruit tart uh, called a summer fruit galette in the kosher baker book and i always tell people not to double the recipe in the machine because you tend to over mix the dough so all the margarine gets completely smushed into the other ingredients so you don't get the flakiness so you have to make certain things one at a time but other things like a cake batter very easy to double cookie
1: dough same thing is it true that you can't quadruple a recipe you can always triple but quadrupling changes the balance
4: <laughs> you know i don't have too many i have only one like hollow bowl that big but yeah i don't never do more than double a recipe unless i'm working in like my shoulder kitchen and I'm doing a big event and then I'll do it, but I'm always not as happy with the results. I'm just not.
1: Right. It changes the the balance of everything a little bit too much.
4: Yeah. Something's a little off because, you know what, eggs, we don't weigh eggs in America. We just use, you know, one egg and please, everybody use large eggs, no other size. So... Our eggs vary in size. If you put five large eggs next to each other from different boxes and different companies, they're not going to all be the same size. Ah. So when you're breaking your four eggs into like my chewy chocolate cookie dough recipe, if your eggs are really small, that dough is going to be a little different. And if somebody else makes it someplace where the large eggs are bigger, so when you're doubling and tripling, quadrupling the recipe, you're really going to get a variation in the amount of egg. And you may not have enough moisture or you might have too
1: much. That's so interesting. So I know baking's more of a science than, say, cooking. So you really have to, like, pay attention to every detail. Somebody has spent a lot of time
4: testing baking recipes, not just me, all people who write baking recipes. We've made our recipes one, two, three, four, maybe ten times. So the recipe is there. It's all there for you to just follow. I get emails from people who tell me that a particular recipe of mine doesn't come out right, and they tell me that they changed at least three different ingredients in the book, in the recipe.
1: Right. I've, I've had... Um, Recently, uh, uh, somebody emailed me, "Um, I don't have fresh garlic, can I use powdered garlic? I don't have um, fresh onions, can I use powdered onions? I'm like, you're you're changing the entire recipe on me.
4: I know, I was afraid of Thanksgiving because at least for, for Yom Tov and Shabbat, the phone calls will stop at some point, you know. Uh, phone calls and emails. Like I'll get emails like an hour before major Jewish holidays, oh, like your vault. <laughs> and with people who have like you know these um, unbelievable questions that if I don't answer, like their holidays will never be the same, and they'll never finish the cake, and they won't have dessert. So I get all these emails, and I thought, oh no, Thanksgiving, there's no candle lighting time. Like they're going to people oh, can, like, <laughs> email me all day. But I think it stopped at by noon. I think I stopped getting questions.
1: Okay, I'm I'm happy for you to hear about to hear that uh, people were uh, respectful of your time too.
4: No, it's fine. I'm really happy to be available because I really want people to be successful. I think it's so important that people bake at home from fresh ingredients, homemade, no preservatives. Bakery desserts are not what they used to be. They're all made from packaged fillings and doughs. You really need to be a home baker today if you're going to eat desserts.
1: Right. I I totally agree with that. I haven't bought a bakery cake in years and years and years, unless it's milkic, Then I don't mind because I'm not a big fan of the margarine. Um, but I do like you know, homemade desserts so much more.
4: Well, I think they have more flavor. And my theory is if something tastes really good, then people will eat a little bit less of it because they're more satisfied by the flavor more quickly. My kids, if they eat a really chocolatey, gooey dessert... They only eat one serving. They're done after that. Right. They don't that's, need to eat ten cookies like they do with
1: other commercial things. Right? No, that's 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 really true. Another comment I just had, I thought it was fabulous. You have a section about what to cook for when, say, like a shiver. Yes. Okay. That well, was so I brilliant. Did that because I was brilliant. in
4: Chicago about a year and a half ago, and my friends. I told a friend's sister that I was writing this book about Jewish holidays, and she said, are you going to talk about what to bake for Shiva? And I said, oh, well, it's not really a holiday. She said, but it's part of the Jewish year. Right. You know, because I didn't do a Yom HaAtsma'u chapter or anything like that. Hopefully you don't, yeah. And then I spent some time thinking about it and I realised I did have a whole philosophy of how you bake when somebody has a baby and how you bake when somebody dies. And it would just be helpful to tell people that
1: right. so it's, they would know. It's part of the life cycles. Hopefully you don't sit shiver every year but you have Rosh Hashanah every year. But I thought it was great. You know, unfortunately my husband sat shiva uh, last year and you know, when people brought over baked goods, it just it just warmed the heart. I know it sounds crazy, but when a home baked good or the you know, the bobka bites that you've got in there, if you bought that to someone who's sitting shiva, it really touches their soul.
4: Absolutely. I bring babka everywhere I go. That's like my signature dessert and now I have it in so many different forms. I have the, a whole wheat one in the holiday kosher baker and the babka bites. The other book has a cinnamon babka. I have babka cupcakes. I think there's something about a dough that's kind of like challah with chocolate that makes everybody feel better.
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I count down every week for Friday night because I love my challah. I know, me
4: too. I know. I'm trying to decide if I'm going to make my classic challah the Shabbat, which I pretty much always have some in the freezer. But I'm going to a friend, so I was thinking about making the whole wheat one that's in the Sukkot chapter in this book. So I would like to. I haven't made that one in a while, and it's a. I worked really hard to create a whole wheat challah that was worthy.
1: Okay, we're going to in the book uh, That's one I. I have your second book. I do not actually have yet your first book. I'm actually going to see if I can stop at the Judaica store on the way home because I would like to try the whole the um the whole wheat challah. The whole wheat challah is in the new book.
4: Okay. Oh, it's in
1: the new book. Perfect. Yeah, cause... the
4: other book has a whole challah chapter of all different kinds of challah, but the whole wheat one. Okay.
0: Book.
4: So I'm really, I'm I'm just really happy with that recipe. I have a lot of different challahs. I even have a dairy challah for shabbat in the. Oh, in that
0: cool.
1: Oh, what 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 cheese did you put in it? Because I'm mis- well, it's I cheese or butter, one brioche. or the other.
4: It's like a brioche bread, but it's shaped
1: like a challah. Oh, cool. And it's definitely hamotzi then. Oh, absolutely fantastic. Yeah, it's made my kitchen smell so oh, good. Oh, you're killing me. <laughs> um, so there's one recipe, two actually recipes that re- were real standout to me when I you know, read this book in California. Um, the green tea hamantash, and I thought that was brilliant. And the strawberry monaco, am I saying it right?
4: Yes, that one is for Pesach. Yes, and that's based on a recipe I learned in cooking school a long time ago in 1996. It was just... They did it more in like a spring form, pan, but I thought the idea of putting it in the bowl was even make it, would make yeah, it even more interesting. It's
1: fantastic. And how does that freeze? Um,
4: yeah, that did freeze very well because I remember when we were developing it, we had to keep some in the freezer for everybody to try. So yeah, there's definitely... It's okay, delicious.
1: good. I'm asking that because I have an ulterior motive. I do a lot of cooking for, and baking for people for Pesach, so I would like to add that to my repertoire.
4: Oh, that's, at one point I was actually working on a Hamantaschen for Pesach, but then I wasn't as happy with it. So, yeah, I loved, I, I, I loved working on the Hamantaschen chapter. That was one of my favorite sections of the book, because I went a little crazy. I have like the raspberry and you the green tea and a gluten free and the chocolate chunk, and I just love developing Hamantaschen recipe, because
1: it's the one Jewish cookie I never liked. Right. I'm also, I was not a big Hamantashen fan. So, unless it had chocolate in it, I have to say. But now, I can't wait to experiment with these doughs. And, you know, you know, it's two weeks since Hanukkah, So, you know, we've got, uh, um, you know, a couple more weeks, like two more months till Cheshvan, Tevet, Shvat. No, we'll, I've I've mixed up all my holidays.
4: March 13th is Purim. March 13th.
1: Okay. So we've got about three months to perfect those, those recipes. I've mixed up my Hebrew dates there.
4: Um, you no, know, but I've been doing I've been making the hamantashen for events that I've been doing on my book tour around the country. I think I did it for an event in Los Angeles, and i oh, I made them on television in San Diego. And just as a perfect example of my philosophy of baking, which is that you know just because it, is, it has a nod towards tradition doesn't mean it has to taste bad, and you could take something traditional and give it a completely modern you know remake. I love and make that. it
1: delicious that's fantastic. you know you're you're a culinary genius.
4: Well, I don't know about that, but I'm definitely the mad scientist in my kitchen because I just love experimenting, and I list and list of ideas. I never run out of ideas, and it's so much fun to get in the kitchen. Sometimes what I create is is exactly what I imagined in my head, and other times it ends up in the garbage bin. Oh so, no! You know, it's fun. Is there a third?
1: Happens. Is there a third book in the works? Well, I'm actually supposed to
4: hear this week about maybe writing a Passover book of Passover food. desserts. So many people come to me and said, we love the way you write your dessert recipes. Would you write a food book? And I said, "Um, until I have an idea or something that I really want to do, you know, I'm not going to write a food book, but I already have one outlined. I'm waiting to hear back on that. And I've got a couple more dessert books in my head. I would like to do an all-natural. Oh, fantastic. No margarine, lower sugar, you know, experiment with all kinds of interesting flowers, which I started doing. People who have my first book and know it well... Well, come up to me and say, I noticed that the newer book is healthier, and you don't seem to be advertising that. And I said, Well, it really is. It reflects the sensibility of my own, a direction I'm moving in. I use chickpea flour, I use white whole wheat flour, I use spelt flour. I've reduced sugar and margarine where I can, and I'm really happy with how
1: that's going. Where so are you I'm buying it the-
4: to keep experimenting and coming up with a book of really healthier recipes? Because a fan- lot of people are very concerned about it's
1: that. It's fantastic. And where do we buy all these funky flours?
4: Well, I buy them mostly online. The white whole wheat you can find in most supermarkets today. King Arthur makes yep, that. Yep, And spelt I find in Bob's Red Mill makes spelt flour. But where's
1: chick- and, chickpea flour? I never see that.
4: And spelt is great. I have a, spe- a scones with spelt flour in the book. I did that for a brunch class that I taught in New York City two weeks ago. And the women, were, it was like revolutionary. They said, what is this flour? And I said, it's spelt. It's whole grain. And they're like, it's so tasty though, but it's hearty, but not dry. And so those came out great. And... I, I, I played around a little bit with some of the
1: sprouted wheat
4: flours. What sprouted wheat? I'm going to keep working on that. What
1: sprouted wheat? I don't know what that means.
4: It's like they take the kernel of the wheat and they let it grow a little bit before they grind it up into the flour. And it's supposed to take it's supposed to take the flour that behaves like regular flour, but when you ingest it in your body, your body treats it like a protein and not as a, as a carb. Oh,
1: I love that. I love that. So is it um, it's gluten-free? No, it's not. Okay, and what about chickpea flour? Where am I getting that? Chickpea
4: flour is completely gluten-free. I've gotten that also, I think, from the Bob's Red Milk Company, and you can find that online. Some Italian companies make it as well because it's a popular... And they all have
1: OU's or Huff K's or whatever?
4: You know, I haven't checked it in a while, but go online. They make flour out of black beans, white beans, kidney beans. There's so many interesting flours out there, and you know, as time goes on, I experiment with them more and more. The chickpea flour is
1: terrific, though. It has a little bit of a nutty flavor. I, I love that. I, I can't wait to hear this about this next book and see this next book with all these funky flowers. It sounds really wonderful.
4: Yeah, you know, I'll probably start playing around with those in the next couple of weeks. And you know, I, I start small. I mix those flowers with other flowers and kind of see how far I can go. If
1: you need any food tasters, I'm happy to come to the uh, yeah, Maryland area. and
4: because I'm always baking, and every Shabbos people show up around five o'clock,
1: and they get to eat whatever I've created. That oh, week. cool. Oh, cool. So, and if people want to um, have you do a cooking demo, they can contact you. At oh, absolutely. the kosher baking
4: events for uh, February and March, and before Pesach, I'm doing a lot of pre-Pesach events. I'm doing a humantation workshop in San Diego, I believe. Nice. And, um, I'll be in at Rhode Island and where else? Chicago, Philadelphia, Baltimore. So I get around, but it's been really wonderful. I love meeting bakers everywhere I go. Lovely. So it's been a great experience to travel and meet people and to talk to them. I call this my kosher baking revolution. I, I want love to change. it. The whole culture of how we use desserts to celebrate our special
1: occasions and our haggadim in our communities. That is absolutely wonderful. Now, um, I emailed you a couple of weeks ago about doing a one of our. We do a giveaway, and you were so uh, graceful and um, you know offered to to uh, do a giveaway for our listeners. Yep. So, um, if you're interested in the Holiday Kosher Baker, we've got a giveaway by, it's by Paula Scheuer, who's our guest right now on, on the air, and she's absolutely fantastic. It is one of the most, it is the, not one of the most, it is the best kosher baker cookbooks I've ever seen out there. It's fabulous, and it's got really great stuff, and really great information, great recipes, gorgeous photographs. Um, so all you have to do to be in the drawing to win one is, um, email me at naomi at com. And we'll put you in a drawing for one in a couple of weeks time. So thank you, Paula.
4: Oh, thank you so much. And if you don't win the book, they can buy the book at Barnes and Noble and Amazon and Costco and many places has it as well as Williams Sonoma, which has been really exciting. Wonderful.
1: How, how, how fantastic is that?
4: Do you know how many books you've sold? Well, we had pre-orders for about 17,000, <gasps> but I think, I think about nine have already
1: like absolutely shipped already. That is unbelievable. Wow. Wow. You know, I just want to wish you the best Hatzlacha Rabat to, to you and your wonderful cookbook and to your family. It seems like it's really uh, going full steam ahead. Well, you know, it's taken me a
4: lot of years to get to this place, so I'm really grateful to God and my family and my, you know, that I have my house and I can work as hard as I've been doing and travel around the world to promote the book and share what I do and teach as many people as possible. So it's just been an amazing experience that
1: I'm just so privileged to have enjoyed. Well thank you very much. I saw that you were in Hong Kong. I thought that was really cool.
4: Oh yeah, the Jewish community in Hong Kong was great. I had I did a workshop with them. We made
1: tarts and cakes. It was wonderful. Fabulous. Thank you so much, Paul. I can't, you know, I know your time is very busy on a Friday morning, so really just can't thank you enough for giving us a little bit of your time today. Thank you Naomi. Fabulous to be here. Okay, thank you so much. Shabbat Shalom. You too. Bye. That was Paula Shoya. She's got the holiday kosher baker if you want to be in the drawing for her book. Um, just email me at Naomi at NahumSeagull It's absolutely fantastic. I met her a couple of weeks ago at Kosher Fest. We hit it off, and you can see she is just as enthusiastic about baking and food and cooking as I am. So it's always nice to meet uh, a fellow foodie. I am so lucky to have in the studio today my sponsor for the month, my my guru, my life coach. Um, you know, Ina has been has taught me so much about You know, body image and I have a lot of teenage girls and about healthy eating and, and exercising and just being in a good mental healthy place. So I want to welcome, uh, our sponsor for the month at a, um, at a studio ENA. Um. Ina Capel, hello. Hey, how you doing? Good. We got a good sound check there. We're all good. How are you? Good. Great.
0: Happy to be here. here?
1: It's been, it's been a really busy morning, hasn't it? (laughs) On so many levels. A lot of action. Thank you. Thank you so much. I know it's a very hard time for you to get out today. I know you've got quite a group following there. and yeah, it?
0: I'm happy to be here. It's great being here. Thank you. And
1: thank you for being part of the Nachum Sigel Network.
0: Yeah, I it's, really like what you guys are doing here. And I'm really wanted to get our message across uh, because it really synchronizes the way you think. And I want to speak to the people about what it's really like to be well and to be fit. And um, I think we can do that together.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I found getting back after <clears throat> Hanukkah, you know, it's been it's past us now, but How do we get back into like, you know, you you watch yourself the whole year and Mm you diet, but you kind of like give yourself and I think you should give yourself that leeway to kind of let go and bake some of Paula's goodies from her cookbook and, you know, enjoy Hanukkah and the latkes and the donuts. But how do we get now refocused back on track?
0: Right. Well, it's funny because it feels like to me like we're always talking about getting back on track because thank (laughs) God there's a lot of holidays and there's a lot of opportunities to celebrate with the family. And I feel like this was probably the longest gap since Yantiv, right? Uh, that we had. Right. Yeah. It was, cause Hanukkah, I mean, Rosh Hashanah was so early. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean,
1: Hanukkah was early too, but we really had nothing in between. Yeah, and,
0: I mean, not to mention Hanukkah was, you know, with Thanksgiving at the same time. So we had a lot of people.
1: Right. So it was an, we had about, well, I don't know, whatever it was, a good stretch of time. There was no school vacations. Right, right. There was no nothing. You know, we both have kids in school, Ina and I. Mm-hmm. So they had like eight, ten straight weeks and then bang. So I feel, like I've been,
0: I feel like I've been seeing a lot more people in class and consistently and I think they're finally feeling good about uh, the way they look in their outfits or the way they feel about themselves and then here we go with Hanukkah and I really encourage them to enjoy the time with their family and, and really this is the time to enjoy the lot because you're not going to make them during the year. So it's great that it comes now and you've had some time to feel fit and participate in exercise and you can really enjoy your holidays. I call it my poetic license to deep fry. <laughs> Absolutely, you know, and it's interesting that – Everyone has different recipes and the way they include it in, in their meals. But um, I think, yeah, we're having a little bit of a panic now because it's been, you know, a week and everyone's been having family occasions. And my girls are like, I can't eat another fried thing. My clothes smell like it. My hair smells like it. <laughs> yeah. You know, but my kids are still asking me, Mom, when are you going to fry the latkes? So I'm like, oh, okay, you know, yeah get it in.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, you know – it hasn't been that long but i still you know i've actually got a holiday party that i'm doing next week for somebody and i'm actually even though hanukkah's been and gone i'm still making potato mm-hmm. latkes with some sour cream on top and caviar
0: mm. that's delicious it's a, oh, i mean it's just never bad fried food always tastes good right but people are starting to freak out and panic and i think uh, different than yuntif like i think people are now just kind of feeling the heavy oil and grease and the frying set in and that's what's making them kind of feel yucky. and i get a lot of complaints about stomach ailments around this time of year because it's probably more fried food than we would normally have right so you know they want to know what can they do to kind of bounce back bounce back and kick start their metabolism so that's something i'm always mindful of so at the studio we'll always introduce new classes because i think that the key to getting yourself more fit as your body gets used to the workouts since yontif the key to getting yourself more fit is to kind of um, break the body's habit of adapting the body's genius at adapting to any environment including your fitness schedule so we like to include classes that are cross-training type of classes can
1: i ask you i'm sorry i don't mean to interrupt what is cross-training i come to in studio I'm, <laughs> I'm one of her as you know as i said she's you know my my coach on so many levels but what exactly for some of our listeners and i 'm not even sure myself what's cross training
0: so cross training is when you use different types of exercises um, to complete your fitness package for the week so you cross train so if you 're a runner you may want to also do some rowing exercise to make okay. yourself you build your endurance because your body gets used to running and if you want to make yourself stronger, you could always do the rowing classes to make yourself cardiovascularly a little bit more challenged than you would in your basic running program. So if you change it up and you add new things to change the intensity, Uh, you won't adapt as easily and then you'll have more, uh, caloric expenditure and, and, you know, you'll get more fit and burn more calories.
1: Right. Like, I like, I go to Ina's studio, um, Mm -hmm. at least twice a week. Yeah, you're doing great. I, I, I I like spin because I feel like as I'm getting older, it's hard to jump up and down with all the Mm -hmm. cool young women Mm -hmm. that exercise, but I love spin. So you're saying I
0: should throw something else into the works, which would work out a different part of my body. Right. So for instance, when you take the spin class that has the sandbag workout, uh, Raina teaches something called the ultimate ride plus on Fridays and it's a fantastic class. Right? So that's not just your spin program that you're used to. We break it up so that half the class is also floor class where she'll do a lot of core conditioning and strength training with sandbags and kettlebells and teach you, you know, movement, different movements, and um, you'll be able to use a different energy system for that. So now you're introducing something new to the body, and the body has to function differently uh, to keep up with the demands that you're putting up to it.
1: You know, I've taken that class one or two times with Raina, and I, you know what's really cool about the class? You take your shoes off,
0: oh, your shoes yeah. and
1: socks off. Yeah. I think that's hilarious because, um, you know, we're so used to wearing shoes. It's okay. <laughs> and we're so used to wearing shoes. And our, our <laughs> core and our center is slightly mm-hmm. different than when you're going without shoes.
0: Well, I'll tell you why I that is. I am so wobbly without my sneakers on. Right. But I'll also tell you why that is. Um, a lot of the proprioception that you get about balance and space and where you are in space is from the bottom of your foot. So if you're trying to balance and let's say you're freestanding and sometimes you touch the wall with just one finger, all of a sudden you can balance. That's because you're getting feedback for the brain uh, as to where you are in space. And then it can kind of adjust its muscles to help balance you better. So when Raina teaches the class barefoot, what she's doing brilliantly is giving you more proprioception of where you are so you can perform the movements more efficiently. Yeah, it's really hard work.
1: Mm -hmm. I, I never, you know, your sneakers give you like a crutch almost. Yeah,
0: and if your sneakers aren't really fitted for you, they can actually throw you off balance.
1: Yeah, that's that's me.
0: <laughs> yeah, you're doing great.
1: Okay, I got to go get those spin shoes. I know that's yeah, something we absolutely, keep about. absolutely. Okay, what is you know you run this incredible studio? Let's talk it for a minute about mm-hmm. the studio. Where, how long ago did you start?
0: So we started the actual studio. We, we found a space for it three years uh, ago. It's three years. Now. Yeah, three years now. And prior to that, I was renting uh, studios and I was renting facilities and I was running my programs. Um, and you know, the following grew and I decided to build a space for the following for our wonderful women. That was really something they deserved, which is a beautiful facility that had all of the little perks to it. The things that I would want when I walk into a fitness facility, like we have a fresh air uh, system. I couldn't stand the way that gyms stink and
1: um, Yeah, they do. You're oh, right.
0: Horrible. Oh my God. I'm glad
1: you pointed that out. Gyms stink of. Gym socks, stinky gym socks, not brand new gym
0: socks. And when everyone starts sweating in the same room, you're passing around the germs and you're passing around (laughs) – you know, and people are very big fans of sweating in hot rooms, but they don't realize that they're transferring bacteria, whether it's on the mats or, you know, through the air. And um, when I found out why gyms don't do it, well, it's a very costly uh, process to bring build in fresh air systems and to add the kind of circulation we did. But that's something we felt was worth investing in. And we have really, um, thank God, a very low incidence of people being sick in the studio because we have so much circulation.
1: I had no idea. I was yeah. wondering why I never smelled. Yeah, Yeah, and <laughs> plus
0: we have like a cleaning crew that's top notch and we really just had all the fine-tuned touches put on the studio including the paint job and it's just a very heavenly place to be
1: yeah no it's i can say that as you know as a friend and as as someone who has you know worked out there that it's you know clean and beautiful and you know great 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 um we're very proud of it
0: we're very proud of it
1: um yeah no it's great and I, i really enjoy coming to classes what is the most popular class
0: so it seems to be that the most popular class is kickboxing, and it's always kind really? of. The, yeah, and we just ran the, the fitness event for Amuna and Right, we, we gave you. We uh, build gyms in, uh, in, in children's homes in Israel, and um, with the fundraising we do. But the kickboxing is something that I think translates universally to people. If you don't dance, you know, and you want to move, and fr- it's kind of like your classic aerobics. And people who are dancers like to come to kickboxing. People who don't, aren't comfortable, you know, dancing or doing some other things will always find that the common language is kickboxing in the studio. I have a lot of people that are super surprised that when they are forced to try the class by their friends, they love it and that they're good at it. It's easy to follow and has become, you know, just as popular as the spin classes.
1: Yeah. No, I I found that spin was very popular a couple of years ago. I think mm-hmm. it's held its ground there. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, I'm not from the kickboxing fence, but I totally appreciate why mm-hmm. people like
0: it. Mm-hmm. They like to move together. They like to be, you know, to the be beat of the music, and it's exciting, and uh, it makes them fierce. Your, your, I like how you say that. Your
1: trainers and your—is that what you call it? the trainers mm-hmm. and your people who give the classes? Your mm-hmm. teachers?
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, the instructors.
1: Instructors, there's the better mm-hmm. word. Are so passionate about what they do. You, a lot of my listeners know I'm very enthusiastic about food, and that translates into my show and mm-hmm. into my life and into my kids and very bubbly about food. And you are like that with fitness and in health.
0: Absolutely. We love what we do. And I've got the most amazing staff. These girls are uh, sincere and they're extremely invested in their jobs and in their careers. And they are educators. They are not entertainers. Um, they happen to love their job, so it's fun to be in their class, but everyone who has a specialty in my studio, whether you're a yoga instructor, uh, you're doing strength training, whether you're teaching dance or you're teaching spin, everyone studies the skill to its fullest extent. You know, we invest in all, attending a lot of conferences and a lot of education, that, and we always get together and discuss ideas, and uh, we study biomechanics. and you What's know,
1: biomechanics? I'm sorry to interrupt there. What, the, what, the way what is
0: that? that? <laughs> so it's the way that the body moves and, and, and what the different muscles are supposed to do in your body and how they work in your body. So we make sure that when we create exercises, we create um, a system where your body and your mind are in sync so you're not moving in ways you shouldn't and that you're benefiting the most you can from your fitness experience.
1: My five-year-old has been coming to you
0: um, mm-hmm. for
1: a couple – it sounds really funny yeah. – for at least over a year now.
0: That's she right. She does
1: ballet with Raina.
0: Raina's and, fantastic. And, you
1: know, she had a little OT and, mm-hmm. you know, very typical in a five-year-old, mm-hmm. you need a little extra a little OT. And um, – you know Raina has trained her mm-hmm. um, through ballet um mm-hmm. and her your ballet classes at the studio mm-hmm. that she no longer needs you know um, right. the district at school to provide services because she became strong you know going through your program right. just as I as a forty something year old oh gosh <laughs> um, you know became stronger. By coming to some of your classes. You know, I don't have Mm -hmm. so much back pain as I used to have. No, but if you
0: notice, we're always cueing your back. We're always cueing posture in class.
1: You know, that's one thing. When I first went into Ina, that's how I met Ina, by starting to go to her classes about two years ago. I came to some of her Fit to the Core classes, which to me is one of my favorite classes Mm -hmm. along with spin. Um, And, like, she didn't know me. She came over to me. She realigned me. She made Mm -hmm. me feel like I'm not just saying it. Like, she made me feel like I was part of the, the group very right. homey feeling right away. Mm-hmm. I felt like, wow, she knows who I am? No, <laughs> she doesn't know who I am. I just walked in and she's like, she made me feel very home and yeah. comfortable. And this is really like,
0: we honest. Have, yeah, we have a, um, a very, we have a, very high expectations for ourselves as instructors. We have accountability in the studio. Uh, Reina, what a lot of people don't know is that Reina is an educator and she has a degree in teaching. Oh, nice! She's fantastic with the children because she's just a sweetheart, but she's also an educator. So when she sees a child and she sees something that they're struggling uh, doing in class, she thinks about them in a holistic way. And if they need to be more flexible or if they need to learn to balance or they need to le- just learn to listen or process information, she knows how to make the assessment on everything until she gets gets their attention, and really teaches them so that they're not just learning ballet as a standard way of learning ballet. It's really curtailed to them. I mean, all of our classes are the same. When you come to fit to the core, if you can't position your feet in the right way, you're not going to be able to squat correctly. And I can't let you do things halfway or do things biomechanically wrong right. so um, I fix you and those small adjustments you're able to perform the movement and you benefit the most from it right
1: and it's not so intimidating because I know that you know I, I haven't worked out in the last couple of years as much as I've used to and if you stop working mm-hmm. out I worked out my entire life from 11 years old Till about forty-one. I'm now forty-three. I'm not ashamed to admit it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It took about t- a two-year gap, and you know the body declines when you don't keep it going. Absolutely. And it was—it's—it's it's a bit of a struggle now to get back on track where I was, mm-hmm. you know. And I worked out really, really my entire life. I wasn't so studious, but I was very athletic. I was on every sports team at Mariah mm-hmm. College uh, in School doors. in Australia. Mm-hmm. And 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 um, you know, if I can't keep up with say one of the other um ladies in the class, you know, will say, okay. Ladies who can't do it, do right. it. Give, give, they, she gives them a choice. So I really like that.
0: Right. We but. always modify every movement so that everyone can participate. So people ask me, is this class for beginners? Is this class for advanced? There's the class is for everyone. You work at your own level. It's our job to make sure you're coached correctly.
1: You know, I just want to take a little station break here, and you are listening to Table for Two with Naomi Nachman on the Nachum Siegel Network, and our show is sponsored by Studio Ina out in Woodmere. And I have joining me in the studio for those who are just chewing in for the last little bit and hear this fabulous voice. This is <laughs> Ina Capell, and she's the fitness guru of the Five Towns. And you know, whoever knows her from across the country knows that she really knows what she's talking about. Um, as she became our sponsor, and she's going to be, we're doing something very special with Ina. Um, She's not only our sponsor for this month, she's going to be joining us for five segments in the next six months. So she's going to be invited back, just like Jay Book's is invited back to teach us about wine. Mm -hmm. And we have Brent Delman who teaches us about cheese. Ina is going to be teaching us about our fitness and, and staying healthy and she's going to be joining us, um, once a month for, you know, through the summer and teaching us how to be healthy and happy and all that kind of stuff. So, um, I just wanted to thank her very much. And we had a little bit of a campaign. Um, if you wanted to ask, you know, questions and I'm always talk about this, making my shows more interactive, you could email questions to me. Um, and people did. And we have some questions that mm-hmm. some of our listeners um sent in for me to ask you in mm-hmm. okay so mm-hmm. we're going to jump to that segment great. now and then okay. we're going to do the what's for dinner segment we cannot forget that because no, no no kale chips okay great okay all right so uh one of our questions is from ruhama okay how do i know which weights to choose in a class is it better to do less reps with heavy weights or more reps
0: with lighter weights so that's a great question um it's 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 a complicated answer so let's just make it as simple as I can. Yeah, yeah. Um, keeping, you know, getting a muscle strong and seeing uh hypertrophy in a muscle. What's that word? Hypertrophy. So seeing the muscle uh, get bigger, <laughs> seeing the muscle get bigger. Uh, and seeing definition. I have a lot of women that come to me and say, I don't want to bulk. I don't want to be bulky. Um, so I'm going to use light weights and do high reps. But it's really all in the same. The difference is using heavier weights will actually get you strong total body while using light weights will pretty much just isolate the one muscle that you're trying to you know, get more definition on. Lightweights are going to produce tone because they're going to trigger a a different metabolic experience in your body than heavyweights will. Either way, you're going to shed weight and you're going to show muscle. If you're doing lightweights and high reps, the more you do it, the more you burn. Eventually, we're going to see that muscle show through. I don't know that that's very appealing to people if they lose all their fat, and then we see a ton of anatomy. So we try to stop women before they get to that phase. Now, if you use heavy weight, one of two things is going to happen. You're going to be able to complete the set of whatever you're trying to do, or the weight will stop you from moving correctly. So heavy weight really can only be used a little bit. Unless you're being coached correctly, a heavy weight really won't produce results unless you understand what movement you're supposed to perform. For instance, if I give you a kettlebell to squat with and it's 30 pounds, holding the kettlebell is already working your upper body. It's working your core, your abs. Right. And it's also working your legs in the squat. But if we're holding light weight. And it's a very light kettlebell. It isn't going to really trigger the same response in the body. And you're not going to have to work as hard holding that weight. You're just going to do a lot of repetitions and get kind of winded. And I guess aerobically, if that's your goal, that you want to get an aerobic response to that movement, that squat with lightweight, then I guess you've achieved your goal. But I don't know what it's going to do to make you strong. Right.
1: You could probably go just on a running track if you want to get your heart right. pumping.
0: I wouldn't use lightweight and high reps because it causes impingement and it causes fatigue, just like when you play tennis if you swing a tennis racket a lot, you're going to get tennis elbow. So um, if you can do something a lot and you're going to uh, do too many of them because it's so lightweight, you could cause certain injuries. Um, and so I prefer using heavier weight and less repetition so you're not as tired and you still get the, the results of triggering some muscle development.
1: Okay. Wow, that was very educational. <laughs> I gotta, you know, it's funny, you don't think about a lot of the stuff when you take a class, but I, you know, right, we it's do. all making sense.
0: Nothing for you.
1: Okay, another question. All right. Um, this is from Honey. I've been trying to lose weight for years. I barely eat and I can't seem to drop pounds. I feel so frustrated. I used to be on a no carb diet, but then I binged on breads and cookies for a while. Help. Great question. Great, Great problem. Question, it's a I, problem
0: across the board. Right. I hear it a lot where people are saying to me, I barely eat. How am I gaining weight? Well, here's uh, what happens. I, I remember these kind of questions right. of Weight Watchers. I have... I have a lot of questions that come in around uh, that kind of idea. What happens when people um, deprive themselves of food is that the body is a very intelligent um, organism, and we have something called a redundant process, which is the process that keeps fat on us to keep us safe. When we were hunters and gatherers, when we were hunters and gatherers, we didn't know when our next meal, we didn't know when our next meal was coming to us, so we had to conserve our energy. We had to conserve our energy to hunt and gather. So, um, if someone is depriving their body of fat, they're also depriving their body of energy. And a person who deprives their body of food deprives their body of energy. So she can't exercise because she's not eating. And the body's going to figure out a way to keep fat on it because it's, you know, genetically programmed that way. It's going to protect itself like a bear in hibernation who gains fat just to stay alive through hibernation. If a person depletes themselves of energy, they'll never be able to lose weight because they won't be able to exercise. And their body will slow down the metabolism so it can save, you know, fuel for itself, for the function of its organs. So the best way to get yourself losing weight is to get energized eating the right foods. Which are? Well, we're talking about (laughs) proteins and healthy carbs.
1: Healthy, okay, we all know proteins. Chicken, fish, meat, eggs,
0: cheese. Yes. What's a carb? So A carbs, healthy carb. Healthy carbs can be everything from your vegetable carbs and to your, potatoes, your sweet potatoes. potatoes, butternut squash. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with having some bread and there's nothing <gasps> wrong with having <gasps> Oh no, Don't say it. Yes. I don't know. Ever since we removed fat from our diets and we've gone zero calorie and low fat, we've become... An overweight society, and that's because chemically our food is being replaced with things that become more flavorful to us, like sugars, because they've removed the flavor of fat. And so people are gaining weight because they're excluding normal foods from their diet and returning processed food into their diet. Um, so we need to be eating healthy carbs, and there's nothing wrong with whole wheat bread, and there's nothing wrong with having some pasta. It depends on how you're expending your energy.
1: Right, maybe not having a pasta with a heavy cream sauce, but you could do a tomato sauce, which is, Mm -hmm. you know, absolutely fabulous, and you can make your own, which is leaving out all the chemicals and the sugars. I just want to do a quick um Mm -hmm. what's for dinner segment. Mm -hmm. Um, very quickly, baked kale chips, an absolutely fabulous snack
0: Mm
3: -hmm.
1: after a workout, right? Mm -hmm. We wanna bulk up on protein and fiber and kale is the highest of those. Um, it just takes um um kale, one bunch of kale, like dark the darker the green, the healthier it is. Um, you wash it up, you rip it up into bite-sized pieces, you uh, put it on a cookie sheet lined with parchment paper, drizzle it with a little oil, seasoned salt, um, kosher seasoned salt, um, or just regular se- uh, seasoned salt or even sea salt. Uh, bake that at 350 degrees for about 15 minutes. Make sure they don't burn and they turn into like potato chips. But instead of eating carbo- like fat carbohydrates, bad carbohydrates, you are eating protein and fiber Mm -hmm. and you are having your greens and that is just the quickest and easiest side dish or a snack for the kids Mm -hmm. and people don't realize how simple that is to do absolutely okay we've got about one minute left really quick question this is from shoshana um what's a better workout cardio or weights and in a perfect world how many times a week should we be doing each you've got about one minute to answer that Okay. (laughs) so
0: shoshana in a perfect world um Three, Two to three days a week of strength training and doing cardio that maintains your strength but doesn't destroy muscle. Um, and for the weightlifter doing it three times a week, uh, he or she needs to do enough cardio to stay healthy but not destroy muscle. The person who is doing too much cardio is breaking down the body and not allowing the body to recover, and so they break down muscle. So you really want to find balance between the two one shouldn't affect the other, and that's, I think, a healthy uh, a healthy body should have three days of strength training and about two to three days of cardio. And
1: okay, it, I got to get myself into the studio more often. I know, uh, no, <laughs> I know, I'm always on you. Yeah, you certainly, and I love that you call me out on that mm-hmm. all the time. <laughs> Ina, thank you so much for joining me. I cannot believe a half an hour has gone by. It's crazy yeah. how it goes very intense. quickly between us. I know, but you know what's great? That you're going to be coming back. For the next five months, once a month, I'm and psyched. keep the questions coming for Ina, naomi at com, or you can go to Ina's website and email Ina directly, yeah, at and, we'll, and we will e- uh, read those questions out mm-hmm. on the, uh, on our next show together Absolutely. in, uh, probably in about February after winter break that comes around so fast. Oh. Thank you so much for joining thank us. Thank you for having us. And thank you, everybody, for listening and tuning in to Table for Two with Naomi Nachman on the Nachum Siegel Network. Stick around. We've got music right up until Lech Benching, sponsored by our friends at Kedem. Shabbat shalom, everyone. Happy cooking.